And for us to have a little chat with Vaughn Palmer from the Vancouver Sun this morning. Now, Vaughn, another day. We're going to update people on BC ferries. At least we got someone talking yesterday. Yeah, the Minister of uh, Transportation, Rob Fleming, he did a appeared at the legislature to do a thing on the wonders of electric buses and all that. And uh, they said, uh, all right, I'll take questions. Uh, Anybody got any questions about electric buses? And most of the questions were, of course, about BC Ferries. He is the minister in charge of BC Ferries. At least that's what his resume says. So a lot of questions on ferries. I I complained yesterday that you know, a mid-level communication staffer is doing the talking for ferries. Where's the minister? Where's the CEO? Where's the board chair? So I'll give him credit for being there. Uh, I'm not sure he welcomed the questions. At least that's not the way he looked when I watched. Uh, well, what did they think well, was going to happen? What, Like, well, honestly, what did they think yeah, was I going know, to happen? I know, but, you know, they, they, I mean, okay, so let's go through what he said. First of all. Uh, he acknowledged that the ferries probably lost customers, probably turned away travelers because of that idiotic posting that there was a nine sailing wait uh, on Tuesday morning. And, the, and one that, by the way, they allowed to persist until almost midday before they noticed that it was their own website was being widely reported and called up to say, uh, that's actually not the case. So, okay. So he admits probably turned away uh, customers from that. And not surprising. I'm sure people changed their travel plans when they thought of a nine sailing weight. He says he blames all of that on an antiquated website and technology. And he says you can't fix it too soon. So, you know, the one thing I notice is I went over BC Ferries annual reports this morning and it appears to me that they've been spending tens of millions of dollars for years on technology and a supposedly state-of-the-art website and it's still not working so i suppose that won't surprise the listener who's been following bc ferries on matters of reliability but they really do need to explain this. Like, how can you spend tens of millions of dollars on a website and it still not be functioning properly? So that's the first thing. Um, The second thing was, you know, he said, um, gee, this is a big deal. Uh, The government expects better performance from BC Ferries. Uh, (laughs) Really? What a surprise. Do you think they might have sent that message last summer, a year ago, when they fired the CEO and said it was because of poor performance at BC Ferries? Like, whether you think that was a great decision or a bad one, and it cost uh, ferry travelers a million and a half dollars in severance, was it really necessary to say a year later, we expect better work from you over there at BC Ferries, so... That one wasn't very impressive. And anyway, he's been saying that for months, right? That's the other thing. You know, when when everything was screwed up over the May long weekend, we expect better. And Canada Day, we expect better. And so BC Day is coming up. And uh, hey, they expect better. So that's that. <laughs> Newsflash, they expect better. Yeah. Okay, I guess the question is how? Like other websites <laughs> seem to work fine. That you, know, you spend the money on technology. There's a lot of demand for them. What is the flaw then in the BC Ferries website? Well, that's a good point. And there's, you know, a lot of organizations, they make over their websites pretty quickly when yeah. there's a problem, right? They act quickly. Why does it take months? Why... 
Yeah, stuff about fairies that's so annoying. Um, They've known about these problems for a while. Why does it take so long to fix it? So the last question that Fleming gets is, okay, so so what exactly directions are you giving to BC fairies about what they should do to make things better. And I know you've got somebody coming on later who's going to talk about mm-hmm. that, right? So, so Minister Woody, oh, well, he says, well, we don't tell BC fairies how to run their operations, right? Oh, we, really? They're independent, right? And I go like, why are the New Democrats still maintaining that pretext that they don't interfere politically in fairies? I mean, that's another message they sent very clearly last year when they appointed a former NDP cabinet minister as chair of the board at BC Ferries, Joy McPhail. And the first thing she did was fire the CEO and the then Premier John Horgan came out and told reporters, you know, of course we did. If you talked to people waiting for ferries or upset with ferry service, they would say, what took you so long to fire the CEO? Well, that was the day that the pretext of the New Democrats not interfering politically in the ferries collapsed. Uh, they took ownership of it. Okay, fine. So, Minister... Why rely on a, as I said, a nice, uh, well-intentioned and capable communication staffer to handle all these questions when it should be you doing the interviews or the CEO or the chair of the board because you're the ones who've taken ownership of it. It's ridiculous that they keep, oh, fairies are independent. Not anymore. Not anymore. Also, what is ridiculous, too, with BC Ferries is every time this happens, like, and it's happened so many times just in 2023, you would think that there would now be a policy saying, if there's any hint of a problem, let's get out in front of it. Let's get talking about it so that people don't think that we're hiding behind something. And yet, Pontus, every single time, they're, they're nowhere to be found. Yeah, no, I agree. Uh, look, uh, okay, so some of the people at Ferries are on vacation and people get to go on vacation. But... This is the peak season for BC ferries, and it's a troubled ferry service. So there has to be a hierarchy and a pecking order. You can't have the top three people all off at the same time. Yeah. you, you got to have, okay, two of you are going on holiday, and, one of, and I'm staying to deal with this until the other two come back. So that's, again, there's got to be a response strategy, and... You know, what comes through on this is I I think the New Democrats have, you know, they've settled political scores. They dumped a ton of money into the ferries. Here's an interesting question. You know, they gave the ferry service $500 million back in March from the budget surplus. And I went back yesterday and I read the debate in the House about that. And the opposition repeatedly, repeatedly asked Rob Fleming, what's the money for? How did you figure out that it was half a billion dollars? And what are you going to do with the money? And he ducked virtually every question. Mm. He said, oh, we're going to have an agreement with BC Ferries on how they'll spend the money. That agreement has not, to my knowledge, ever been made public. But, Simi, 
to the listener, to the person waiting in line. Do you think that your half a billion dollars has bought <laughs> anything better from BC Ferries? Like, exactly. That's ridiculous. Ron, we also wanted to talk, of course, about the legendary Pat Carney. Yeah, this is a giant in my industry and in politics. So Carney died yesterday, age 88, surrounded by friends and family. Uh, She'd been in the Senate. She'd been an MP in Ottawa. But, you know, she starts off in journalism in the 1960s when there were women working for newspapers in the 1960s. Uh, They tended to be on the women's pages. They tended to be feature writers. Uh, Carney ends up as a business reporter. There was no more guy job in the papers uh, that, except maybe sports reporting, that was, you know, you did not see women in those jobs. So Carney's a business reporter and a very good one and very knowledgeable. And she goes on to do a lot in that area as a researcher and an advocate. Gets herself elected to Parliament in 1980, Vancouver Centre, the seat that uh, Eddie Fry now holds and that mm-hmm. Kim Campbell once holds. And she goes to Ottawa, you know, and her website is quite accurate about this. Uh, When Mulroney becomes prime minister, she goes into cabinet and pretty much every job she ever had as a cabinet minister, she was the first woman in that job, international trade and things like that. Her finest hour, I think, without question, was on the abortion issue. So Supreme Court of Canada, 1988, threw out the country's abortion law, too restrictive. The federal government, the Mulroney government, tried to reenact a law that would be a compromise between um, choice and, um, I guess you'd say, anti-abortion. Carney looks at this law and says it gets in the way of what she believes should be the law on abortion, which is that abortion is a choice between a woman and her doctor. Carney says she would not herself choose abortion, but she respects the right to choose. And she does something that politicians almost never do when they're cabinet ministers. She votes against her own government's legislation. And effectively, Simi, that vote kills the bill in 1991. It's defeated by a single vote. And I think you'd have to say, as the only cabinet minister who voted against it, that was Pat Carney's action. So she's feisty. She's colorful. She was a terrific interviewer, uh, interview, a great journalist, and a very important politician. Finishes up in the Senate. And, you know, senators get to pick what part of the province they represent, like She's a senator from British Columbia. She was a senator from the Gulf Islands. She lived on Saturna. She did a big crusade to save lighthouses and picked up coastal issues like fisheries and things like that. Uh, An incredible person, really. Um, And, uh, you know, a long, long life in public, even after she retired from the Senate. She gave speeches and wrote, uh, went back to doing some journalism and opinion. So, uh, a legend. Uh, definitely one who earned the term and a real pioneer in my industry as well as in politics. Absolutely amazing history. Legend too, when I was growing up, that was like, she was she was the one, right? She was the one from the West Coast. Yeah. No, and I get 
these I'd get these notes and calls from Carney. You're absolutely wrong about what you wrote today, right? I mean, she, <laughs> she was totally outspoken. You'd always listen to her because chances are she was right. I mean, she used to joke that she, when she went from journalism to politics. She chose a profession that was held in even lower esteem by the public than journalism, right? So she had no illusions about her career choices out there. But man, oh man, anybody that ever took her on, they knew they'd been in a fight. Uh, This is not somebody that ever retreated from her opinions or positions uh, or what she thought was the right thing to do. So true. All right. Thanks so much for that, Vaughn. Bye-bye, Simi. For most of us, crime is something we see on the news. We never think it could happen to us until it does. Loved ones are gone, and for the survivors, the scars will never heal. I'm Nancy Hickst, a senior crime reporter for Global News. And on this season of Crime Beat, I'll take you inside some of the most serious crime stories I've covered. Season six of Crime Beat is available now on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, and all podcast platforms.